0: will come on back come on back and grab your Bible and I'm going to start by you don't even really have to turn on the sermon notes but what does it mean to feed on the faithfulness of God Jan what does it mean to feed on God's faithfulness so we're just going to talk about that for a few minutes Anybody have any idea? That's the homework. Feed on the faithfulness of God. Somebody's got to have an idea of what it means to feed on God's faithfulness. Uh, David pens that in the 37th Psalm in verse 3, that trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Come on. Somebody has to have an idea. John. Okay, good. And So then, action word. How do we feed on his faithfulness? Come on. Okay? Has to grow. Have faith in what he says, be intentional. Uh, Somebody said the word. Oh, boy, is that good. Remember, you feed on his faithfulness. So that is so true. How do you feed on his faithfulness? You keep remembering what God is like, his character, his word, his ways, as much as we can know it by the Holy Spirit, right? What, what does that look like practically in a person's life? When and where do you feed on God's faithfulness? When you walk. What about when you sit down? No, I'm, I'm sort of being cheeky, but not really, yeah. right? Uh, constantly. What, what does your day look like to feed on his faithfulness? Yeah. Prayer time? Praying without, Prayin without ceasing? He says yes. Yes, sir? Confessing the, Confessing the word, speaking the word, and knowing the word. That's good stuff. And what does the Bible say in Psalm 63? Go there. I don't know why, but there's just something about it, right? Oh, God, my God, or, oh God, you are my God. When will I seek you? Early will I seek you. And we know that Jesus was very much an early bird and always started his mornings with the, with the Lord, the Father. And what did he do at night oftentimes? He watched Letterman. No, he did not watch Letterman or any of uh, those things, what did he do? He spent time with the Lord, his father. Isn't that interesting? So how much more do we need that fellowship? But anyway, feeding on, you, you got it, man. The remembering part to me is key. Why? Because the farther we get away from the word and things like that, what happens to ourselves? We start to get anxious. We start, our thinking starts to get fuzzy. Uh, we start to sort of, and then boom, the word does surgery by the word, by the spirit in the child of God, boom, does surgery on our heart and, uh, we're feeding again on his faithfulness. So I don't know. I just like to think about that. What does your life look like if you're feeding on his faithfulness? And that was in Psalm 37. And I hope, um, you've had a chance to read the rest of that very long Psalm because we're moving on to Psalm 38. Psalm 38. In my Bible, it says a prayer in time of chastening. And this is called a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. Now, I want you to file that away for a minute. Oh, bring to remembrance. This must be a real happy psalm. If you're going to sing this in the tent in the church, you know, it's not the church at this time, but the place of worship... Well, it's got to be a happy song. It's got to be a song, one of those ones that you put up on the refrigerator so you can remember uh, uh, real well. Well, maybe or maybe not. This is a prayer in time of chastening. And the real fact is, as you go through this psalm, is that David was sick. He had some sort of sickness. Let's read it just for a second. A psalm of David to bring to remembrance, Psalm 38. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. Remind me after. Okay. Uh, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones. Why? I want you to see this in verse 3. Because of my sin. Now, when you're reading this first part of this, don't you think sort of like Job? Job in this book or this psalm, wait a minute, sort, sort of seems kind of similar. But there's a big difference here between Job and this psalm. Remember Job's quote unquote friends kept saying, man, you need to confess this sin that you're hiding or everything's going to be great. And the problem was there wasn't any hidden sin or the problem, but But in that book, there wasn't any hidden sin. Here, David admits it. The reason I'm sick, he says, is because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. Now, this is a certain kind of psalm. You know this, right? This is what's called a penitential psalm or a psalm of penitence. It's this fact that the uh, this is the fact that the psalmist is expressing what grief and mourning and a burden for his sin. I want you to see that, not other people's sin. His sin. He's not out on Facebook telling everybody else how bad they are. He's got enough of his own thing going here, and so he admits it, for my iniquities have gone over my head. Now, we know this, right? And I want you to mark this down, and I want you to really pay attention right here. David's sin, apparently, brought God's chastening into his life, and the language that's expressed here in the uh, Hebrew is a psalm of bitter anguish. I mean, he's hurting here. He knows he's sinned against the Lord, and it hurts. It's an unrelenting ailment or a chastening. He's despairing, but what? He's despairing, watch. He's despairing in himself. He's not despairing because of the unfairness of God or something. He's despairing because he brought on sickness because of sin. Now, we don't know exactly what, where and uh, how this psalm came about, what situation. Oftentimes, we, the people can co- sort of piece together where it's from. But I want you to know this, and this is the thing I want you to mark. Folks, not all sickness comes from disobedience. Sometimes you could just get sick. You were around people who were sick, so you get sick. <laughs> There's a whole strain of Christianity that says you should never get sick. Be careful with that. I'm going to show you something. Go to John 9, 1 through 3. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind. He's not sick, but he has something wrong with him. He's blind. And he was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? It had to be something he did or his parents, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus said or answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. The works of God should be revealed in him. God turned around something that's a malady or it's a, you know, something that's physical and God used it for his good and for his glory. So not all sickness comes from disobedience, but but apparently here in David's case, he was sick because of some consequence of sin. And you could actually look in John five fourteen and uh, write that down and you could go over there. And he says back in the Psalm 38, my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering. Why? Because my parents were bad or my friends made me do it or I was tempted and I just couldn't Deal with it or whatever. That's not what he says. He says, because I was a fool. And I'm a f- that was foolishness. I'm troubled. I'm bowed down greatly. You see how the language here is he, he knows it's himself. I go mourning all the day long for my loins are full of inflammation. And there is no soundness in my flesh. And that phrase in the Hebrew is somewhere close to the kidneys. So some people believe maybe he had kidney stones. But anyway, my loins are full of inflammation and there's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Lord, and by the way, he uses different words here through these psalms that we're going to study tonight for Lord and God. This one's Adonai or master. All my desire is before you and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants. My strength fails me as for the light of my eyes. It's also gone from me. I mean, you ever seen somebody with the light out of their eyes? Hopelessness, sad. It's really sad, right? Well, David was there with, uh, with uh, those folks. And my loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. And in the Hebrew there, he's talking about leprosy. Now, nobody thinks David had leprosy, but there was something about him they were, that he was being treated like a leper. And oh, by the way, the history part of the Bible doesn't tell us anything about David's sickness, but it seems clear that here he's, he's sick and it's been brought on by sin and my relatives stand I mean, I'm so bad. My relatives won't come around. My loved ones, my friends, my relatives, and then of course, my enemies, those who seek my life, they lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt. Speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. It's so awful, right, when you're not, God bless you, when you're not feeling well or whatever, and you still have people hammering on you. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear, and I'm like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus, I am like a man who does not hear and whose mouth is no response. And some people think that this is a good way uh, for... Uh, David to be, just to speak uh, no evil against anyone. Other people think he's holding it inside here. But he does something good. And that's always the way of David. David's not a perfect little angel, folks. (laughs) I mean, he's made mistakes. Anybody (laughs) know what I'm talking about? But the thing about David, different than Saul... You know, David keeps really short accounts with the Lord. Here he is, and he's sick, and he's tired, and the light's going out of his eyes, and people are against him. Who likes people to be against you? And people are against him, and he does what all of us should do in that situation. But many of us neglect. He goes right to the Lord. What do we do? We talk to everybody about it. We look everything up on the internet we might even talk about the people who are hurting us. We get together, and that makes us feel better. But whatever, he goes right to the Lord. For in you, Lord, I hope, I hope, you will hear, O Lord, my God. Does, don't? If you get married, and you're a guy, this one real res, really resonates with you. Because sometimes your wife just wants to speak it out. You're on the edge of your seat like, well, just come on. Give me the problem so I can take care of this. And you're like waiting for the problem and no problem's coming. It's just da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da or whatever. In a good way. I'm not making fun, but it is and it comes out. And then finally you get to the end and you say, well, how can I? I just wanted you to listen. But the great thing about the Lord, think about this. Isn't it wonderful to be heard? God bless. Isn't it wonderful to be heard? You ever had somebody who you're talking to and they're sort of looking around and really sort of kind of talking to you but not really talking to you? And it's really irritating, isn't it? I thought she was going to speak up right there. But anyway, (laughs) but look, the Lord hears you. Isn't that interesting? You will hear, O oh Lord, my God, for in you, my Lord, I. In, in, for in you, O oh Lord, I. When I put my hope in the Lord, listen to me. He hears. He hears it. He takes the time. He's not too busy. He's not overlooking you. He's not looking over your shoulder. He's listening. You got problems. We got problems. I got problems. I got things that are on. I'm sick. I'm tired. The light's going out of my eyes. He hears, for I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. Lord, I just want to be honest with you, he says. You get this? I feel like my enemies are winning. He's totally honest with the Lord. You get this? Not in a way that I think some people are like, you know, go ahead and just shout at the Lord and be angry at him. I, I don't know about that one. Here, he's just expressing how he feels. For I'm ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity. I'll confess it. Keep short accounts with the Lord. Confess my sin. I'll do that. I'll be in anguish over my sin. It's good to mourn over our sin. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Not getting caught for the thing that you did. That's not repentance. Oh, I got caught. I'm sorry. Come on. That's nothing. But being in anguish, uh, by by the way, folks, here are two, two of the ingredients that if you study any revival, any revival, these two ingredients, always in the revival, always. You can just go back, take my word for it. It's this one. It's a burden over your own sin. Now, of course, we have burdens over our nation's sin. Of course we have those. But there's this thing that the Holy Spirit does, and he points out our sins so that, you know, we we no longer call it, you know, I got an anger management problem. No, you are a sinner who are angry. That's what we do now. I had an affair. I didn't have an affair, but... That's what we say. An affair. Oh, that's, that makes it sound like something like, uh, I don't know, like like corporate or something. That's good. No, you you were committing adultery or whatever. We don't call sin, sin. And here, David does. And he doesn't point fingers at other people. He's, he's mourning over his own sin. And two, the second, uh, one of the other uh, ingredients for revival is he's, praying to the Lord. He's turning to the Lord, not to everybody else. He's turning to the Lord. And so you see that here. I'll declare my iniquity. I'll be in anguish, but my enemies are vigorous and they're strong. And those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those also who render evil for good. They are my adversaries because I follow what is good. And then look at this. Finally, do not forsake me be with me, in other words. Be with me, Lord. Be with me. Lord, I need you now. Please, Lord, be with me. Don't forsake me, O Lord. O oh, my God, be not far from me and just be near and make haste to help me. And I need your help. And, Lord, you are my salvation. There's nowhere else I can turn. The all-encompassing plea, the ultimate plea that you would save me, help Help is the right response. I don't know what it is. Why do we wait so long? You ever had an issue going on? You're, you're upset about something. Something's bothering you. And you've gone through the day and, you, you know, you get home or whatever and you go, my, 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 my. I didn't even stop to pray about it. I didn't even ask the Lord. It's so true. We have not because we ask not. So that's Psalm 38. And it's real and it's raw. Wouldn't you agree? But they see, that's the part, uh, the point. Life is real and raw. It's not a bunch of mannequins walking around. <laughs> no, the gospel is lived here. Look in 39. 39's an extension, sort of, of 38. And some people believe 38 and 39 were once one poem or one psalm, and it was split up. This one's to the chief music. Oh, by the way, this is what I wanted to tell you. Can you believe That a man like David would say, a Psalm of David, and I want you to keep remembering it. This is one like people of our generation, we want to hide this Psalm. Are you getting what I'm saying? He said, here, people, sing this. And he just was honest and real. And so now we turn to 39. He says uh, uh, to the chief musician, to Jeduthan, or how, how do you say it, Jedithan. This is one of the people that was put in charge of worship. You could look that up in 1 Chronicles 16. This is the beauty of this is the beauty of the Psalms. You gotta sort of know the Old Testament to pick all the meat off the bones. And this guy was put in charge of worship with a couple other people. A guy named He-Man. What a great name for a worship leader. I don't think you say it. And Asaph. He was also a seer, the scriptures tell us. Jeduthun. I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I'll restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace, even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. So David, again, it seems like he's holding in something, sort of like Psalm 38, and that's why many people believe it's related. Some say, again, it's a continuation. But it seems in Psalm 38, it was well for him to keep silent and not to defend himself. Here in Psalm 39, it's well to not speak in honest fears and doubts while wicked or non-believers are before him. And that's sort of the point of what he's making here. But anyway, he gets to the point where his anger is hot within him And he is angry, and then he spoke with his tongue. And look what he does. He goes right to the Lord. What do you do when you're angry? I don't know about you, but when I'm angry, that's the hardest time to pray. Why is that? Is it because your pride's like through the roof or what? But it's a hard time to pray. But here David shows us, wow, I'm angry, he says. So Lord, he just starts to pray. Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days? In other words, one of the things that the Holy Spirit called David to think about in times of being angry, inappropriate anger, was how short his life was. Life is short. Why waste it on these awful emotions or dead emotions that don't help anyone? Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days? That I may know how frail I am. Indeed you have made my days as handbreadths. It's really short and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. Sound familiar? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It seems like the roots of Psalm 38 and Psalm 39 is Job. He knows Job, and yet it's different because he knows that David that there was a reason for his sickness, and that was because he was a real dirty, rotten sinner like we are, right? But watch. But then the fruit of the psalm is like Ecclesiastes because he comes to the right realization that life for us without the Lord is vapor. It goes fast, and it's vanity. It's not full of anything and look he puts the little Selah in there so that you and I and we will pause on that and think on that he wants us by the spirit to know that life is short don't waste it on things like terrible anger or bitterness or forgive unforgiveness don't do it it's a waste you're just rotting away while people are dying that need the gospel Or our love. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. One commentator says this. Our life now is the land of shadows, but heaven is the reality. David tells us, surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. Wealthy he speaks of. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I didn't open my mouth because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. There it is again. That's why they think this is one Psalm split in two. I'm consumed by the blow of your hand. When? With rebukes, you correct man for iniquity. You make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is vapor. Watch it again. Pause and think. Selah. One thing you won't find in any of this repenting, write this down, is self-justification. Write it. If you say, I was wrong, but... Are you really even admitting you're wrong? No self-justification. So here, you have that. It's a vapor. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner as all my fathers. What better prayer is there, or heartfelt thing is there, just to cry before the Lord, or to shed tears before the Lord? This is is the language of prayer. Just cast yourself on God. What is tearing you up? Go to him in your inner chamber and have a good cry with him. For I'm a stranger with you, a sojourner as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength. Does that seem uh, 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 just not the right thing that David should be saying? No, what David is saying is spare me That correcting gaze that you have or that frowning gaze, that I want to be moved away so that I could come back and have strength. Because walking in the will of God strengthens us, doesn't tire us or make us sad. Before I go away and am no more. That's Psalm 39. And they go together. John Phillips said this, there's no happiness without holiness. There is pleasure without purity, but there is no happiness without holiness. Psalm 38 and Psalm 39. Here comes Psalm 40 faith persevering in trial. It's to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. Who was the chief musician? Well, it probably was the choir director or somebody like that. But some people believe that's just another way of saying to God, you be a good Berean and think on that for yourself. Here's what he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. Remember how to wait for the Lord. Remember what we said about waiting for the Lord a couple weeks ago? We think of waiting for the Lord sort of of a passive thing. It's not passive at all. When the Lord says to wait on him, he's not talking about passive. He's not saying sit on the couch, watch football, eat something, and just wait for him to do something miraculous. That's not what he means by waiting upon the Lord. He means grabbing your Bible, praying through things, worshiping him, talking to him, struggling over something, whatever it is, and waiting for him to make it clear to you. Sometimes maybe we shouldn't think of waiting like waiting on the couch. I said this last time. Maybe we should think of waiting like being a waiter, being active and serving and loving and growing. So here he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. That doesn't mean he didn't do anything. He waited patiently. The Lord does want to develop patience. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. Are you catching what David's saying? He's saying God bent over to listen for him or to listen to him. That's what he's saying right there. Isn't that beautiful? He's paying attention. The Lord now is paying attention. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, some sort of difficult time. He brought David, up out of, out of the miry clay. This is very famous, don't you think? We should write a song about this. And he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He's put a new song, a new song in my heart. Don't you want that? What are some of the benefits of waiting upon the Lord? Do you catch it? Let's read it again. I waited for the Lord. He heard me. And something that I was going through or I felt like I was stuck and I was never going to get out of, not just a pit, a horrible pit. And even I know, right? There's some, some of us who have been in those pits. We found ourselves there. But for those who wait patiently for the Lord and he, he hears me and hears my cry as I pray to, him, or pray to him, he's going to bring us up out of a pit. He's going to set our feet. Are you catching that? <laughs> uh, when I came up here today, all of you were fellowshipping. I was so happy you were fellowshipping. You know why? I ran up here and tripped. <laughs> now I didn't fall down. I had good, but but I tripped and it was sort of weird and embarrassing. You ever had imbalance? You ever had vertigo? It's miserable. It's awful. You don't want it. You want to be stable and solid and right there so you can move and all that sort of thing. And the Lord says, Here's what I'm going to do for your life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. I'm going to bring you up out of horrible pits. You might even be in the pits. But I'm going to bring you out as you wait on me and I'm going to make you stable. And, oh, this is so wonderful. I can't even hardly believe it. He's going to make you sing. You're gonna even clap your hands. You might even clap your hands during worship. Oh my, could you believe that? No, he's gonna put a new song in your heart. The songs that you used to sing. What did you used to sing? You know what I used to sing? I used to sing like classic rock songs and love them. And all of them were like about girls and me and partying and me and self. And I thought it was so amazing and cool And I loved it, right? But what did it do? It just sort of kept me in there. But he put a new song in my heart. And we were just listening. (laughs) We were like two teenagers. We put the uh, sunroof down as we were coming here. (laughs) But what was funny is we had it blasted, but it was a song called The New Jerusalem. And we were like, is this too loud here in West E? But man, he put a new song in our hearts. And that's what was so beautiful to hear. That's what he does as we wait for him. So on and on it goes. That's what he does as we wait for him, not in a passive way, but a proactive way. And then here's a little uh, blessing. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. There's joy and there's happiness. I don't mean that you're always clicking your heels at every circumstance that happens. But there's this settled joy deep down inside based on the word of God because you know the one who you've trusted. And He, you put your life into his hands and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. You don't respect pride and proud things. And you don't turn aside. That actually means like idols. You don't put idols in your life. You just worship. You're a one-string guitar. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. How can I spend more time with the Lord? Many, O oh Lord, my God, are your. Wo- or many, O oh Lord, my God, are your wonderful works. God bless you for saying, remembering. That's it. That's how we preach to ourselves. That's how we feed on His faithfulness. We talk about his wonderful works. We remember his wonderful works, which he has done, not us. He has done. And you're, oh, you're lonely. Are you lonely? Yeah, sometimes you're lonely. But look at this. This is the reality of who God is in your life. His thoughts towards us, God's thoughts towards us, cannot be recounted to you in order. You couldn't do it. It's so many that the Lord thinks about you. Don't you like to be thought of? Anybody ever just out of the blue brought you flowers or, you know, Ohio State tickets or something like that? Right. And you're like, wow. Or get a letter from somebody instead of a text, you get a letter. Wow. They were thinking of me. Well, the Lord, you can't count how much he thinks of you. It's just amazing. If I would declare and speak of them, they're more... Than can be numbered. So sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. My ears you have opened. Now that is just, I got to stop there just for a second. He actually means this. He bored out an ear. So sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. By the way, that's quoted in Hebrews 10. And my ears you have opened. Many people believe now this is sliding into messianic stuff. My ears you have opened. Wait a minute. You bored out the ear. Like you opened the ear of somebody who can now hear the Lord. But it also speaks of and reminds us of what a bondservant was like. That's what many people believe. That what this is saying is that this is referring to what the bondservant would do with his ear. Work for seven years and say, oh... You know what? I love it here so much. I'm going to willingly be the servant. Oh, really? Okay. Put your ear over there and bang! Put the, how do you say it? All or something through the ear? Well, that's what this is speaking of. And Jesus is the one who willingly laid down his life, burnt offering and sin offering you didn't require. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. How many times in the book of John did Jesus say something similar? I delight to do your will. The thing that you show me, that's what I do. I only speak what you tell me to say. Well, here I've proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. You see, when the Lord brings you out of a horrible pit and stabilizes your walk, wipes you up clean of whatever miry means, clay, whatever, clay or mud, and wipes you and sits you up on a rock you can't help but tell people the good news. You, you, listen, I'll get in trouble for this, but I don't care. Really, evangelism class? Well, here's the evangelism class. Have devotions with the Lord. And as he comes into your life, when you walk out into the, wherever you walk out to, into the community, you're not going to have some plan or program. And by the way, I got saved by a plan or program, so I'm for them. It's just going to come out of your life. At work, it'll come out of your life. At the soccer game, it's going to come out of your life. Wherever. And here, that's exactly what happened in the great assembly. I don't restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. I've not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I've declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness. I'll tell you every week, if you don't know the word has said, get to know the word has said. Loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Don't withhold your tender mercies from me, Lord. Now there's a shift. Most commentators believe the psalm has now shifted. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me for innumerable evils surround me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to look up. They're more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste. This man knows how to pray. He grabs hold of the character of God and he prays that way. He grabs hold of the promises of God and he prays them. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward, brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, watch. The Lord be magnified. You and I and we don't steal the Lord's fame. Let the Lord be magnified. If there's anything ever that we do that people deem as good, may they see God in it, not how wonderful we are. Because I'm poor and needy. Just like Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes say. That's the word I couldn't think of earlier when it said blessed. But it's Beatitude. Yet the Lord thinks upon me, you're my help and my deliver. Don't delay, oh my God. Now watch Psalm 41. Let me just read to you uh, as I sum up this Psalm 40. G. Campbell Morgan said this, The suffering servant of God, listen to this. The suffering servant of God always becomes a singing servant. Isn't that great? The suffering servant always becomes a singing servant. He's going to put a new song in your heart, but it's always by the way of the cross, folks. Always by the way of the cross. Psalm 41 it's this, the blessing and suffering of the godly is what my Bible says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, here it comes again, another beatitude, blessed is he who considers the poor. By the way, some people believe David's talking about himself as the one being poor (laughs) because of the sin he's uh, done in his life. The Lord will deliver him in times of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. Take your fears, your helplessness, everything to God, and he will be blessed on earth. You'll not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. Again, more about his illness. None of it recorded in the history part of the life of David. You'll sustain him on his sickbed. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul for I have sinned against you. David knew that. We just say sin in general, but what sin is, is a sin against God. When you miss the mark, when you trespass, you might be hurting somebody or sinning against somebody else, but ultimately you're sinning against the Lord My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself when he goes out. He tells it, all who hate me whisper together against me. Against me, they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. How mean, right? And now that he lies down, he'll rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Sound familiar? Well, it should, because Jesus talked about this in John 13:38. He quoted this psalm, speaking of Judas. David probably was talking about his counselor, Ahithophel. Maybe he was. There, no one's 100% sure. But you remember Ahithophel switched sides, his trusted counselor. How awful would that be? to be backstabbed by one who was with you the whole time. But you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you are well pleased with them because my enemy does not triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in integrity. That's interesting. You uphold me in my integrity? Anybody else read the life of David? Hadn't he sinned? Remember when uh, Nathan confronted David about his sin? How incredible. David's like, oh, let's get him. What's going on here? Yeah, let's put that guy. That's bad stuff. Nathan says, well, you're that guy. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 12 13 and 14 that he confessed he, he was a sinner, and that was sin. And that the Lord covered it. Let me just read it to you. So David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord after David confronted him. Now watch, watch. This gets me jazzed. This is the gospel. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel? That even... Though you've failed and sinned and moved in the wrong direction sometimes and you felt bad about it and you were sick to your stomach and you, you cried out to the Lord and he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness that he can say, you uphold me in my integrity. Why? Because of the righteousness that we receive from the Lord himself after he has received and paid for the penalty of our sins. Amazing. And set me before your face forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Don't yawn right here. And here's why. This is the end of Book 1. And guess what happens at the end of Book 1? And guess what happens at the end of Book 2? And guess what happens at the end of Book 3 and Book 4? And somewhat in book five, a similar blessing. The editor here says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Agree and agree. Amen and amen. And they close out that book and start another one. And we're going to do this last Psalm or this first Psalm of book number two. It's Psalm 42. This one I want you to see was written to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. You say, okay, great. Let's get on with the Psalm. No, don't get on with the Psalm. Know who Korah was. Let me tell you a little bit about this story. There were three sons of Levi. Write these down. Think about this. There was a son called Gershon. There was a a son called Mereri, and there was a son called Kohath. We're going to just deal with Kohath's line coming out of Levi. Remember, the Levites were the ones who were to be in full-time service to the Lord, and they took care of the tabernacle and all of its implements. Do you remember this? Okay, I'm going to quiz you about this. Because not every Levite is a priest. Only the ones from the line of Aaron. The other ones took care, they took care of the implements and the order at the tabernacle. And there are three sons of Levi Gershon, Mer- Merari, or however you say it, and Kohath. And we're going to deal with Kohath. And the Kohahites. Or Kohathites, sorry, were responsible, what? For the sanctuary itself. This is all in the Old Testament. And they're responsible for the care, like things like the ark, the tables, the lampstands, the altars, um, curtains. And they were supervised by Eleazar, who was the son of Aaron, okay? Just stay with me for a minute, because you're all going to go, ah... And there was a grandson of Kohath named Korah. Now I'm starting to get into your living room. You why? Look at this. Sons of Korah. There's a grandson named Korah, and he got in with these group of bad boys. And what they did in pride, like their pride jumped up, and they gathered together 250 guys. And what did they do? They challenged Moses and Aaron's leadership and their right to the priesthood. And you can read all about that in Numbers 16. And God told Moses, as he had summoned them to come to a meeting of the people to sort of get away from Korah and Dathan and Abraham, these people who were rebelling, and do you remember what happened? I'll read it to you. The ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. Remember this? And they go down alive uh, into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. And their cries, all the Israelites around them were fleeing and shouting, Well, the earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. And you you can read that in number 16, okay? Now, why am I going through this all with you? Well, first of all, that's who, or there's some descendants of Korah who are involved in worshiping. What? They're the bad guys. They're the inappropriate ones. Well, we find later that Korah's sons uh, were spared. You can read about that in Numbers 26, 9, and 11. And this God, this same God who judged that act of rebellion, listen to this, still has a plan for even the people in the line of Korah. In fact, after seven generations, do you know this prophet named Samuel? He came up out of the line of Korah, and you could read about that in 1 Chronicles 6 and 1 Samuel 1, 1 and 20. And I want you to just know something. The Korahites became doorkeepers, custodians in the tabernacle, 1 Chronicles 9, 1 Chronicles 2. And even another group of Korahites joined David in several mil- military exploits. And they became these great leaders in the choral world and the orchestral music in the tabernacle. Doesn't that bless your heart? Oh, I'm the only sinner in here, huh? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. Isn't that amazing? Yes, we want to follow the Lord, but... Man, there's grace upon grace upon grace, and the Lord shows it forth in his words. So look, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. You all know this psalm. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, not some dead God, for the God who's alive. Jesus is alive, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Remember, look at that. Remember when I remember these things. Now here you see some poetry. What do you mean? So why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Turn over with me to verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Folks, you're reading poetry. Don't forget it. Look over in Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. I'll say it again. You're reading poetry. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I'll remember you. Remember. That's faith. You don't remember the good old days. That's what he was recounting earlier, guys, gals. It's not the good old days. Come on, us older people, quit being such fuddy-duddies. It's not about the, old, the olden days. It's about who the Lord is. You remember who he is and what he wants to do. You don't just do something because you used to do it. There's nothing wrong with tr- tradition if it helps you worship, but don't be stuck in your ways where you're such a fuddy-duddy. I'll remember you. That's where life is. It's not in a tradition from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon. That's up above the Sea of Galilee. From the hill Mizar, that's a little hill or mountain up near Mount Hermon, all the way up in the north of Israel. Watch this. And what flows from the Sea of Galilee? And it flows all the way down. It's a little river that maybe you've heard of where Jesus was baptized. It's called the... And it flows into the... And then it, no more. There's nothing else. It doesn't go anywhere else. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Now, if you're going through something really difficult right now, and many of us are, You don't want to miss verse (laughs) 8. David here has said, the land all around me reminds me of death. From the heights of Hermon through the Jordan... It just runs into the Dead Sea and does no more. And deep calls unto deep. I mean, there's waterfalls that are over top of me and waves of billows have gone over me and I can't get my breath. And then the next sentence or the next verse, it tells you that God can and does and will give you a song in the dark while you're waiting for the day to dawn. And that's what he says. I don't know how, I don't know why, Well, I do know why. But I don't know how the Lord does this. It's supernatural. He doesn't replace your sorrow for joy, He transforms what you're sorrowing about right now and makes it joyful. And that's the book of John. So I'll say to God, my rock. This is really an interesting poetic thing he's doing here. He's saying this mountain up in the north of Israel that everybody looks upon and is marveled by, it has a little hill beside it called the Hill Mazar. It's the only place in the Bible where this is mentioned, just some little hill. But if you're trusting in the even the the, the land to make you happy or your job or your career, you're just going to be... Billowed over and you can't catch your breath because the only thing that helps and satisfies is not some silly little hill. It's the rock. Who's God. He goes on and he says, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of, my, of the enemy as with a breaking of my bones? My enemies reproach me Why they say to me all day long, where is your God. And then I want you to catch something. He reminds himself. When you hope in God, when you really, when the rubber meets the road and the storm clouds are there and it's dark and it's, if you'll just hope in God, I want you to see something. At the back end of this, you're going to say, hmm, why am I cast down again? You get it? You'll come out of it, and yes, you're not happy about the situations, but you're going to marvel and love and be appreciative and thankful for all the ways that God made something that seems so hopeless Hopeful, and no one's saying it doesn't hurt, or you're not going to feel all those feelings. Of course, you're going to feel all those feelings. But when you get on the back end of it, when you get to heaven and you see and you understand as much as you can understand, you're going to say to yourself. You even say it before it, as you get through the trial or the the the, the sorrow, and it's turned into joy. You're going to say, Hmm why was my heart cast down again? I was hoping in God. He's always enough. He'll even help me with my countenance. The light will never go out of my eyes with him. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. all the different books of the Bible, or excuse me, the books of Psalms. Sometimes I think, Lord, that we just run through them and we don't appreciate them, or at least I don't. We sort of have them all blend together unless we can find a catchy little verse. And yet, Lord, these Psalms were lived out, the the, the mundane things of life for David and for the others. Lord, I'm so blessed when I see that you even had a plan for the sons of Korah singing and ministering in the tabernacle. What a blessing. Lord, help us through these dark times, if we're them, help us get to the other side where we can say, hmm, why was I cast down?